Hi, I'm Josh McDonald. And I'm Miranda Materi, and we are Hand Therapy Academy. Let's talk a little bit about body-powered prosthetics, whether it's for transhumeral or uh, transradial. Let's talk about some body-powered. So, Miranda, why would a patient maybe do mild, uh, excuse me, body-powered instead of, or what are the what are the selection criteria for getting a body-powered? Um, so I would say the majority of the patients I see, they're typically getting fitted with the um, body power prosthetic first. It's a little bit cheaper. Um, it gets the patients functional right away without having to do a lot of testing. Um, and I think it's a nice low tech option. You don't, you don't have to worry about charging it. It's durable. Um, you don't have to send it off to the company when it breaks. Um, so I feel like most amputees really do like the body powered um, prosthetics and oftentimes what even won't need the myoelectric if they're really happy with the body power prosthetic. And a lot of times insurance will pay for that where they might not pay for um, some of the more expensive terminal devices. And some patients are not going to long-term adopt a device. And so it's kind of the insurance company's way to maybe weed through those patients where they get a device, maybe they fall off the radar a little bit, or they decide they don't want the device they've invested a smaller amount of money in a body power than they have a big giant leap up to a myoelectric. Right. And I feel like the operating systems for the body powered are simple, right? It's a two, it's usually a two cable system. So um, there's usually one cable that controls the opening and closing of the terminal device. And then there's the second cable that is controlling the elbow flexion and extension. And you can lock the elbow in and unlock it. Um, so overall, it's just the two cables. You have to make sure that they have good tension on them. So I will say, um, treating a lot of these a lot of times you're making sure the harness is fitting appropriately and knowing those bony landmarks of where they should be and the comfort level of the patient and then once you get a really good fit the training is pretty easy you know so i'll oftentimes mark you know um, exactly where they're at with the harness system so i'll i'll even take a sharpie and mark um, the spot of where everything's fitting at and then once we have a couple of weeks of a really good fit um, then i'll go ahead and like sew the harness so it stays um, in those places otherwise they're like constantly when they take it on and off so much those spots move and then the harness fit changes and i think that's where patients get a little frustrated with the body power it's always messing with um, the right length and the right um, tension on those cables. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the two movements. You said it's typically a two cable system. It's been around for decades. You can go look up how to work the systems and you can watch videos from the seventies and it's the exact same systems. So what are our motions to open and close the terminal device? And what are our motions to lock and unlock the elbow? Yeah. So for opening and closing the device, it's typically protraction of the, um, contralateral side. So if they have the amputation on their left, they're going to be opening and closing the prosthetic on their right side by doing a protraction movement. And it's that that motion of the shoulder blade in the back that kind of puts the tension. Um, so it kind of goes right back over the scapula, puts the tension on opening the device. And then most of the time, the body powered ones, they self close, right? So as soon as you like release, you protract and then release that tension, the terminal device is closing. Uh, and then they'll oftentimes have a locking feature too. So the other the patient can lock it in then if they need to. So it's simply protracting the contralateral um, shoulder to do the opening and closing. Now for the 
flexion of the elbow, it is typically the same side. You're going to do um, shoulder extension, abduction, and depression. So it's going back down and a little bit out, and that will open it or bend and bend the elbow. And then you can lock the elbow in, and then you release it the same way. You do that same muscle, that same muscle movement. And with that one, sometimes you have to play with the tension of the cable a little bit, but um, they're pretty simple to figure out. Yeah. I've had a fair number of patients who struggle with that back and out movement to lock and unlock the elbow. And I've got one guy right now who's about to get his myoelectric device, but um, he just manually reaches over with the other hand and pulls on the cable manually. Um, it's just a matter of like uh, activating a little mechanical switch, almost not even electrical switch, a mechanical switch. And he just pulls on it and lets it drop or, or lifts it up and kind of swings it up and pivots it and then just times that lock. It's easier than he just couldn't successfully get that backwards. We play with all kinds of tensions. He says, I'll just pull on it. So yeah. it's just a matter of activating the, the cable on the front or the cable across the back, which direction you want to move. Yeah. And you're right. There is that string where they can quickly release it too. And sometimes if they develop, you know, or if they want to do that, I think that is a very simple solution too. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the other things that are a factor on these early stages of prosthetics, like stump care. Um, a lot of times this is their first time they're wearing something on that stump. What are some things to think about? Yeah, I think the first thing is to really manage the swelling and the edema, right? Because that's going to change the fit of the socket. So if they're fitted too early where they have, it's going to, they're going to probably have to have a, re, a socket remade. So as a provider, as a therapist, we can help the patient, educate the patient on advantaging that edema and how to get it down. So a lot of times they will have like um, stump socks that you can put on or there's different wrapping techniques. And then the second thing is really focusing on desensitizing the area that will help get them prepped for more long-term wear of the prosthetic. So if they haven't had anything on there, it can be very sensitive. So, you know, doing some of those desensitization textures, making sure they're touching it, making sure they're massaging it and getting used to it. Uh, can be valuable. Yeah. And the first time they're wearing something on there with a load can be stressful on the shoulder. Before they get the device, it's a good idea to do some, if you have them before the device, to do a lot of scapular, scapular stability exercises and motions to get a stronger girdle. Because if it's been any significant amount of time, they've gotten weak, not just from the injury, but from weeks or months of not carrying the weight of an arm so those muscles have gotten deconditioned. Yeah, so very, very important to do lots of like postural strengthening and scapular stabilization exercises before they get the prosthetic. I think that's huge. Otherwise, a lot of these patients end up with chronic shoulder pain. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it means doing way more hands-on with that patient because if it's a, specifically if it's a transhumeral, it's hard to do. You can't just give them some bands and dumbbells. You've got to be there doing manual resistance for horizontal abduction, adduction, and scapular movement. And you've got not just postural cues, but you may have to be adding resistance in a way that they can't do without a device, you know, a hand to hang on to bands and dumbbells and wrist weights and stuff. Yeah. This isn't the patient you want to hand off and do independent exercises, right? It's yeah. one you want to be hands on with. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, let's touch for a minute on some pediatric, um, options and some thoughts with this. Um, I have seen a fair number of kids over the last Two, year or two, um, anywhere from six years old all the way up to 12 um, at different stages, getting pediatric body-powered devices. Um, I would say that of what I've seen, I know there's better options out there, 
but the trends of what I've seen is lots and lots of kids are getting very simple body power devices. And I think insurance companies are not excited to throw a lot of money at devices for kids who are going to outgrow them. Kids are going to be hard on them. And for some reason, they think kids can't understand these devices. But I guarantee these kids can understand myoelectric. If they can solve your iPad you know, problems, they can figure out the myoelectric devices. But they get these very basic looking, um, cosmetic looking hands that are typically a voluntary open. So there's a single cable system. And when they do that reach forwards or a uh, like a con- for a congenital transradial, they do a reach forwards. There's a cable that opens a terminal hand. And it's usually just a thumb and it's just a thumb that opens or closes and they can grasp or release. But these kids are so clever and resourceful and pliable neurologically that they have figured out. And for a long years before they got this device, they figured out how to be pretty darn efficient one handed. They're tying shoes, they're eating, they're playing with their friends. And a lot of times it's a cool thing to get this device. But then the logistics is it slows me down. I can't tie my shoes as fast with this thing as I can with just one hand. So they end up just kind of getting like, I don't know, it, it slows me down. What's the point of putting on a special device that slows me down? Even though it's the cool thing at school, it doesn't usually last very long, unfortunately. Yeah, I would say I've had similar experiences with kids. They're really, they adapt so quickly that they often don't want or need a non-prosthetic. Yeah. I've seen adults in their 50s, 60s, and uh, 50s and 60s who have said, I wish I had had a device sooner because now they have overuse problems, shoulder rotator cuff problems, um, decor veins, carpal tunnel, all these other things from not using a device and the control, the uninjured side has all these other complications. I've even had patients where they had to stop wearing a device because they had basically crutch palsy where the, the figure eight harness caused a compression in that, um, and that axillary area. So there's all these long-term things to take into account when working with a kiddo with a traumatic or a congenital amputation. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. All right, hopefully that helps. Um, lots of information there on body power devices. If you have any questions, reach out to us at uh, on our email, info at handtherapyacademy.com or Instagram, Hand Therapy Academy.